Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Friday morning. There won't be too many more of these before the summer really takes off. Uh, the offseason for the Blue Jackets could be a very interesting one. Joining me, as always, Allison Lucan. Hello. And a special guest, Fox Sports Ohio's Dave Metzold. Hello, Dave. I am honored and feeling more athletic by the second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It seems it's kind of, it was kind of quiet in Blue Jackets land. I think there's a a, a consensus it's going to be a very interesting summer around the league, but but in Columbus as, as well. No shortage of headlines. The news today in Blue Jackets land is that, or yesterday, I should say, is that Rick Nash uh, now has an official title with the Blue Jackets. He is the special assistant to general manager Iarmo Kekalainen. Not exactly a specific title, still a, a vague title. He's going to continue to do a bunch of different things in the front office, but this I think this is where everybody expected this to go. Uh, he'd been around the team since, oh, probably, I think he started in February of, of this past season, just sort of getting a lay of the land and what it looks like to work in, in a hockey operations capacity. Uh, he's going to continue to do a, a lot of different things. We can touch on, on some of those things. Uh, but all in all, a good move. Allison, your thoughts on uh, the franchise's, I think, still undisputed uh, best player of all time, uh, certainly longevity-wise, um, getting back into the fold here in, in an official suit-wearing capacity, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like it. I like it for a couple reasons. First, like you said, he was around the team for for a good chunk of time at the end of the season. And so to me, that says he's going in eyes wide open and, and full willingness, right? I think a lot of guys, maybe when they retire, are trying to figure out if they want to stay close to the game and what that looks like. And he was given a chance to test drive, if you will, and, and, and maybe has found a path that he wants to start to develop. Um, I love, obviously, his connections to the city, to the organization. And I think that that off the bat might be one of the biggest things he brings is that you know he is he is a new ambassador for this organization and when you talk about a team that might be really active or might hope to be really active on the free agent market here for at least this year if not longer uh, that's a huge asset because he obviously has recognition far beyond just the reaches of Columbus yeah well, one of the things i scratched at today and and it's always a question i have and this is nothing against former players at all, uh, but a lot of these guys, A, don't really have any idea what goes on behind the scenes. Right. Um, ever since they've been young, they show up at the rink and there's their, there's their, their ice, their locker room, uh, their gear, every, their teammates are settled, everything's taken care of. When they look behind the curtain, sometimes it can be shocking how many people are required they just get this thing going. The other side is a lot of a lot of times guys that make seven million, eight million bucks a year and have a pretty good bank account don't necessarily want another job. They don't need another job financially for one, but they don't want a job where they're expected to be in the office every morning at nine o'clock or where they go overseas in, in short notice. That uh, it's not a predictable lifestyle. It's not a a, um, a scheduled lifestyle. I'm ex I'm interested and excited to see where this goes with Rick Nash and Dave. I'm wondering, 
just your thoughts on that. You saw him around the rink uh, last season extensively at the end of the season. I'm really curious to see what sort of path he carves. It's still open right now, but I think we're going to get some clues in these next this, these next several months, maybe a couple of years, as to what sort of future he he is thinking of for himself. And it's been interesting as we watch players retire and you look at a guy like my colleague Jody Shelley or you look at Jared Bull and you see the path that they choose, uh, the path that uh, Chris Clark chose, the path that go back to Tyler Wright and the path that he chose. It's really been interesting to follow Rick uh, on the road, on the plane. He's almost been like a shadow, like an intern for Yarmo Kekalainen. <laughs> Everywhere Yarmo has gone, he's had this little shadow with him, only it's been Rick Nash, for God's sake, which to me has been really interesting. And Allison, your point is spot on. He is, you know, his wife is from here. He has got deep roots here and his brother lives here. I, I think he's going to be an ambassador for the franchise and for the city as well. When guys are considering Columbus, Ohio, you know, talk to Rick Nash. He can give you the ins and outs and, and the goods and the bads and the pros and the cons. And that's what I like about it. But it's, it's really interesting the path that he chose. And I know that Jody Shelley was was quick to pick up on that. I mean, obviously, Jody is with the team home and away as well, and he has chosen his own path. And uh, he was very quick to pick up on, you know, I think Rick has got different aspirations. When Bill Davidge retired, a lot of people said, oh, what about Rick Nash? He'd be perfect for that job. I don't think Rick Nash wants that job. I think he's, uh, he's chosen his own path, and it'll be really interesting to see where he winds up with it. Yeah, and you look around this league, and, and if Brendan Shanahan doesn't need the job he has right now, right? He wants right. the job he has right now. Steve Eiserman doesn't need a job, right? Yeah. Cam Neely, these guys don't need jobs. They want jobs. And they, they find a way, Allison, to sort of the competition that used to fuel them as players, it now fuels them in a different capacity. They don't have their they, they don't have ultimate control over the game, but it still sort of serves those competitive juices. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean and you know, we talked about this when, as Dave mentioned, you know, Jared Bowles made a path. I mean, part of this is the ritual of the thing, right? It's there's something that that brings them peace to come to the rink to to be around the game, and and I mean, I think we see it. You know, you always see sometimes those snapshot videos of of an ownership box at a game, particularly in the playoffs, and the, you know the massive emotion that they show at a win or a loss or what have you. You mean Cam Neely firing the water bottle against the wall? <laughs> that <laughs> <Hey> indeed. <laughs> or Yarmo doing his drums on the on the counter there, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it allows them to to express in that way too. I mean, I mean, they're in it. I mean, they may not be on the ice anymore, but they're in it for sure. Very interesting. Um, yeah, and so other moves to get to Bill Zito. They're going to need like a, a two foot long nameplate to get his title in there. <laughs> he he added a a, uh, a couple of big titles today, including a spot at the in the alternate governor's chair, uh, which is no small deal. The Blue Jackets now have have four people in, on the board of governors, uh, if you will. The um, the governor himself, the owner John P. McConnell, Mike Priest is an alternate. Bill Zito is now an alternate, and Yarmo added the alternate's position when John Davidson uh, moved along. So Bill Zito promoted, Basil McRae and Josh Flynn both promoted, and Chris Clark promoted and also gets a little bit of a job change. Uh, another former jacket who's paving his way uh, in, in a hockey career after playing. Uh, he is still going to oversee the player development, but he is now 
director of player personnel. So he'll have input uh, on players at the NHL level as well. Uh, the curious thing with to to me, anyways, with Zito is it's not quite certain yet if he's going to continue to uh, manage the Cleveland uh, roster uh, for the, the Blue Jackets AHL affiliate. Uh, they don't have a coach right now either. Uh, so that's something they're going to need to settle down in these next uh, a couple of weeks. Any any of these moves, Dave, uh, surprise you? I know John Davidson leaves, so everything sort of shifts and adjusts. We've talked at length on this podcast about how Davidson really helped establish a front office that can now, we think, survive without him. Has any of this in the wake of John Davidson leaving, does any of it come as a surprise to you or anything really catch your, your interest? Uh, not a surprise. I think that the surprise is that I think it's no secret to anybody that Bill Zito aspires to be a general manager of his own uh, with any NHL franchise. And we knew that he was interested in that Seattle job. And, and I think a lot of people maybe expected either that to happen or some other opening to be filled by Bill Zito. And I'm wondering now with this promotion and with all the titles that he's gotten, uh, what's the origin of that? What's the, is, is it a, an attempt to make sure that Bill Zito is happy in Columbus and they want him to stick around and, you know, we really appreciate all you've done here. We really want you to be around here or, or what's the motivation there? The other thing is that with JD leaving, everybody has said, well, you know, will Yarmo naturally ascend to that president of hockey ops position? And I don't think they need that position anymore. But everybody kind of falls into place because John has left with different titles that are a little bit higher than they were before. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and somebody rep- responded to my, uh, my tweet on it today. It's, These sound like a whole lot of made-up positions. <laughs> I don't know if, if they're that, but I do think that they have done the best they could do to make sure they recognize what each of those guys has contributed to the recent success of this franchise. And certainly you, you could make an argument for each one of them having made a pretty substantial impact, including Josh Flynn, who's been uh, by and large anonymous to most people, but has really, you know, as kind of the money ball guy, the guy who, who makes sure they're getting the right value for the players that they bring in, has played an integral role in this. So <clears throat> I think it's, it's a reward as much as anything else for guys who've done a good job in the positions they've been in. And so just to get this uh, correct, Zito uh, is, remains the associate GM. He is now also the senior vice president of hockey operations. There will be a quiz on this later. And an alternate governor. Um, Basil McRae, who was the director of player personnel, and Josh Flynn, who was director of hockey administration. They are now both assistant general managers. And Clark, who was director of player development, but still sort of has that, uh, that, that job charge anyways, is now titled the director of player personnel. Now, the assistant general manager... Uh, now Basil McRae and Josh Flynn. That job typically is who runs the AHL program. Uh, Allison, if it's not going, if it's not Zito any longer, do you think it could be one of those two that that's in charge of the AHL roster and the the day to day ops of the of the minor league affiliate? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because you know, it, and Dave alluded to this, you know, Josh is, is the guy who's really been, he, he, he's a master of the CBA. Um, he is a master of, of working contract deals. He is, he has been the person who has led the analytics effort within the Blue Jackets organization, obviously with Yarmo and, and previously JD's blessing, which to, to stay on top of that, as that has evolved in his tenure alone is, is impressive. So 
you know, I, I th could he do it for sure? But that's a very that would be a very interesting look from a leadership perspective to me um, versus maybe what Bill Zito did before. Again, just a different look. And I, and I wonder, too, if Basil's experience with the London Knights isn't also yep. a compelling argument on the other side. Um, yeah. You know where he was. He was really involved with that organization. Obviously, um, part of the leadership there. Um, again, just a different take. So I think that if it is in fact one of them, I think that's just going to be a really interesting statement on how they view kind of oversight of, of developing that group of players and prospects in the pipeline. Yeah, not saying that Josh couldn't do it, but that would be a departure from his career track right now, which has been toward analytics, toward salary cap understanding, not so much team building, right, and roster building. Whereas I do, I think uh, certainly Basil McRae has been more on that track. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, it's interesting because, I again, as you said, this is not to say I think that Josh could do it and what an interesting fingerprint that might be. And sometimes it's that people haven't just, just haven't been able to show that that is part of what they right. love and are passionate about. But um, it would just be a really – it, and now I'm actually really excited for who they announced because whichever yeah. way they go is going to be just just a very interesting commentary on on kind of the identity of that club in in the sphere of the whole Blue Jackets organization. Yeah, well, and who's got more familiarity with that whole roster than Chris mm. Clark? All of those guys. Yep. So, yep. you know, that's a, certainly an outside shot because he's relatively new to the management side of things, but certainly one that could be considered. Yeah, you wonder if they step out the, outside the organization too. I don't know if they'd have three assistant general managers. Oof, Good lord! Oof. Um, but I, I think that's possible. It, it, I mean, I always thought Basil McRae is being above the assistant general manager job and his expertise, but I, that that's probably not necessarily accurate. He, he he's always struck me as sort of one of Yarmo's sort of right hand men, uh, yeah. as close as they are. So we'll see. Um, the, the the Stanley Cup finals are now finally over. The St. Louis Blues, as everyone expected, <laughs> lift the Stanley Cup. I can't believe that they won the Stanley Cup. Um, I think a lot of people are in that in that mind frame as, as uh, well. But but kudos to them. My God, they they played great. They were an absolute machine uh, from January on. Um, so many people rose to the occasion for that team. Dave, your thoughts, you, you saw what Boston did to this Columbus team. You saw how tough and physical that Boston team was. They, it, I thought that was a huge part of that series where St. Louis just was so heavy on every hit and every puck that there seemed to be a cumulative effect to it. And able to sustain it over that seven-game series. I think that was a huge part of it. I think they took what the Blue Jackets did – over six games and maybe not even all six of those games in that series with Boston, because I think Boston pushed back and Columbus didn't always have an answer, but St. Louis by and large over the course of that seven game series, including right down to last night, they were very physical on every play. And in the first period when Boston seemed to control things and Bennington kept them in the game, yeah. St. Louis got back to its physical game. And that's, I think what allowed them, especially with that late goal in the first period, uh, boy, once they had that 2 nothing lead going into the second, they were able to be physical, not have to worry about taking a dumb penalty, just play that really rugged game. And I think that was the difference. Plus, how well did that team play on the road? Just phenomenal. Yeah. They won 10 of those games, 10 
Stanley Cup playoff games on the road. That's really impressive in this day and age. And and maybe struggled with a little bit in game six when the expectations were so high. But, boy, they rebounded in a big way last or the other night. And I think that was really fun to see. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And, and I'm wondering what this says. And I'll throw this, this hot potato to, to you, Allison. Um, Jordan Bennington. I don't know that if 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 the people on that are speaking on this podcast right now had heard of this kid before last season. He was an AHL guy last season. He spent time not long ago in the Coast League. He was with two different teams last year. Yeah, yeah. He's around. What an unbelievable story. And in, until this season had played one NHL game I think I had heard even this season that he asked a couple of years ago to get traded because he didn't feel like he had a future in the Blues organization. Is is been and we've had these examples before, but is Jordan Bennington Allison the latest example in in the the fact that you don't have to overpay at that position? It is the most important position on the ice, but it's also maybe the most unpredictable position on the ice. Is, is he lesson number? 50 in the last 80 Stanley mm-hmm. Cup winners, that that position is not just about having a marquee player. It's about having the, the hottest player in the league. Mm, what a, I could go on on this for, for a long time. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's complicated. I think it's the most important position on the ice. And I think this speaks to why organizations hold on to really good goaltenders for forever. Because when they come in, you don't have to pay a lot for these guys. I mean, look at Matt Murray. Look at Binnington. I mean, the Blue Jackets are going to have some relatively affordable goaltending if they, if they stay on the current path right now next year. Um, but I, I think that what happens is that if you have goaltenders who are this good, their value only escalates and escalates and escalates. Because I think that what, you know, I've said this a couple times now, I think that one of the things Binnington had going for him goaltending to me arguably might be the most mentally demanding of all the positions on a hockey team, in in my opinion. And so if you come in, even if you've never played an NHL game, you've done a ton, a ton, a ton of mental work, maybe more and maybe different than what a skater does. So you're not necessarily ruffled as much by the narratives and by the ideas of I'm on national TV of all these things. You, You have tools that you can rely on to keep your, emotion and your focus in check and and plus you just don't know any better right like that's what tort says all the time sometimes these young guys just don't know any better so do you have to pay a lot not for the sake of paying a lot but if you keep your hands on a good goaltender ultimately you're going to pay a lot i mean it's that's that's just what's going to end up happening this is a guy fifth round or third round draft pick but 25 years old before he made it to the nhl to stick Mm -hmm. Who else is 25 who has an NHL game? Mm, let's think about that for a minute. That's the, you, thank you for grabbing that setup and running with it, Betsy. Right. I mean, you don't know is my thing. You don't know. And, I, and this is the thing, like, he's not here so I can I can make fun of him. I agreed with him. He was hardly alone. Tom Reed, after game one of the series, was like, oh, my God, th- I just hope the Blues don't embarrass themselves. This is not going to – they might win a game. And then they win the whole thing. The thing that we are reminded, even even us quote-unquote experts in the game, we don't know. Right. And that's why sports is great. 
I mean, right. if, if, someone, if, if someone told you that Jordan Bennington was going to play more games than any other Blues goaltender this year, you'd say, oh, God, are they, what lottery pick did they get, right? And they win the Stanley Cup. And I, I think people are going to go into next season, Allison, to your point, if it's Elvis and Jonas Corposalo, people are going to go, oh, my God, what are they doing? <laughs> like, this is going to be a disaster. But we don't know, do we, Dave? You don't know. And uh, this whole conversation has me thinking of Ilya Brzgalov. Why is Sergei Bobrovsky right now a Columbus Blue Jacket? Yeah. Because Brzgalov was in Philly and they had to throw a whole bunch of money at him. And it was like, well, we can let this uh, Bobrovsky guy go. And then look what happens to Bob. You just don't know. I mean, look, look at the L.A. Kings a couple of years ago, just barely get in and quick gets hot and bang. The next thing you know, they're yeah. raising up. You just yeah. don't know what's going to happen, especially in the postseason, what what impressed me about Bennington was the way he handled the pressure and the way he handled the game seven pressure last night after being embarrassed in game six. Right. I mean, I thought, oh, God, he's going to go to Boston. He's going to start and it's going to be embarrassing. And the way Boston started that game the other night with all that pressure on him, I thought this is it. It's done. But he man, he was unreal. He may have been at his best in game seven. How do you explain that? Right. Crazy. And this is another thing, building, just building off that series, and we'll move on back to the, the mighty Blue Jackets. But Bennington's six foot tall, 170 pounds. And this league went through a long stretch where goalies were starting to get 6'2", 6'3", 210, like massive guys. Yeah. Ben Bishop, yeah. Ben Bishop. Steve Mason here was huge. Was, the, the guy in St. Louis was a big dude. Um, it was all over the place. These really big guys where the puck just finds them, even if they don't see the puck. I wonder if, if this starts, if, if people start to reevaluate this a little bit, but on a larger sense, we talked earlier about the physical play of the blues. I wonder, and, and, and when someone wins, that there are more ways to win in this game than, than I think people understand or give credit to. And I wonder if being a heavy team, that finishes checks and wears people down again, which people started to get away from. It was possession and skill and light uh, with with 11 elite skaters and, and one guy who could be physical. The Blues don't play that way. And I wonder, they're almost similar to how the Kings used to win. I wonder if, if maybe either of you, and, and uh, we'll go with you, Dave, if you see perhaps the league opening their eyes to, to not spending so much on having eight forwards that make four and a half million, but also having some thump in the lineup and, and maybe the game tweaking a little bit based upon who won the Stanley Cup. Exhibit A, Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Tampa uh, Bay, no answer for the Columbus Blue Jackets physicality. They, they didn't want to play that style of game. Yeah. And I think a lot of people learned throughout the playoffs from what the Columbus Blue Jackets did. And uh, they they adjusted and maybe not even adjusted their game because I think St. Louis was already that type of team. But right. man, what team has more goal scoring talent, the ability to score with with flair and flourish than the Tampa Bay Lightning? And they were out in four games. I think that probably taught the rest of the league as much as anything that you, you better have some thumpers in there. Wow. And look how quickly the, the Penguins were dispatched. Yeah. Yeah, Allison, are we on to something here, or is, are we making too much out of a, of a one-year aberration? <laughs> well, of course, I can't leave this alone. Um, you know, I, and, and I totally get the, the read on, on how the Blues played. There were multiple times when I would just look at the screen and I would say, man, those players just look huge. You know, you just like, they just mm-hmm. look big. 
But you know, I, what I think, what I think, the real takeaway here is, is it's something Dave said too: is their ability to be flexible within their game plan, to stick to it. I mean, I think that was part of the issue with Tampa Bay: was they got, as you say all the time, Porty, they got punched in the mouth and didn't know what to do. Right? They were not prepared for that and they could not adapt. So you know, while while we saw physical play, I mean, there was what two penalties in Game Seven? There were not a lot of penalties. It was a right. really clean game. Afraid to call it after a while. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, I think that it was a physical game, but you have to have skill. And these two teams, if you go back to I think it's January, these two teams, the Bruins and the Blues, were in the top five in scoring chances and in shot share. So they're physical, yes, but you still have to have the skill. We can't dismiss the importance and the value of that. And and if you look at uh, I shared some of, of my friend's work. His name is Prashant Ayer uh, in my timeline yesterday. Um, right now in drafting, the only position where teams are drafting bigger and bigger is, in fact, the goaltending. Forwards and defensemen are all getting smaller. Um, and we've seen our fine young friend Oliver Bjorkstrand start to throw his body around as much as oh, we all can't uh, believe it. <laughs> but uh, He's not throwing his body around. He's picking it up after being thrown oh, around. Well, There's that, a little distinction there. Well, that's, that was in the Boston series. He has thrown – he has shown some physical play this past season. I give him credit. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but to, all of that to say, I, I think that we saw a team use a physical edge, but still leverage a foundation of skill. I mean, this is very much teams that encapsulate the Josh Anderson philosophy, right? I mean, that's that's part of why Josh is so special. So I, I think that uh, it's not a full change or even a, a ninety degree turn um, off of trends that the league has been supporting. Yeah, and, and to your point, their leading scorer was Jaden Schwartz. Vladimir Tarasenko second. A guy who really impressed me in these playoffs is Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was, man, yeah, that is a hard-nosed, rugged two-way player right there. Um, Point-of-game guy in the playoffs. Uh, so the Blue Jackets, it's been quiet, I think, out of deference to the league and wanting to let the league celebrate the Stanley Cup final. And now the league is... Open for business. Saturday is the beginning of the buyout window. Yarmo uh, has said he doesn't suspect there will be any uh, moves there for the, the Blue Jackets, just maybe later in the summer, depending upon how things go. Uh, but it's going to get really interesting here, I think, starting next week. Uh, I'm off to Vancouver on Wednesday. I, just, I hate. I just hate hopping on a plane for five hours <laughs> this time of year and trusting on the Wi-Fi to work because who knows uh, what might come down. Um, the Blue Jackets have two draft picks. That's right, two draft picks, not just in the first round. They have two picks in this entire draft as of today. A third rounder, and they have a seventh rounder, Calgary seventh rounder. Um, real quick, just some of the stories we've, we've had in the last few days. There's been lots of talk about offer sheets being thrown around this summer. The Blue Jackets, pretty much, unless they do some serious, uh, difficult uh, work here to get their own draft picks back, they're really not in a position to even put offer sheets on the table. They wouldn't be allowed to. They don't have the necessary compensation. Uh, so that's most likely not a, a reliable way or a, a feasible way for them to, to acquire players. So you're looking at trades, you're looking at trades for draft picks potentially heading into Vancouver, and you're. And of course the big question is how many, if any, of these UFAs 
are going to stay put. I think July 1st is, could be potentially a tough day for Columbus uh, in terms of players leaving. See what Yarmo Kekalainen is able to do in terms of, of bringing players into Columbus. Uh, there is a free agent shopping window that opens near the end of, I think it starts the Monday after the draft, uh, where players teams can bring players to town. Uh, I think the Blue Jackets have money to spend, and they're going to try to find players to, to take it on the free agent market. Uh, Dave, what when you look ahead to these next, oh, it, it could be super turbulent here, uh, the next three weeks. What are you most interested to see uh, and, and how it how it plays out for the Blue Jackets here? I am uh, most interested to see what kind of rabbit Yarmo pulls out of his hat this time. Because <laughs> I, I think back to two years ago and nobody, nobody was thinking Artemi Panarin was even available. Even and all he- the, there goes Brandon Saad. Here comes Artemi Panarin. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, and, and he has made other moves like that that have wound up working in the Blue Jackets' favor. And that's how Jack Johnson got to Columbus, Ohio. That's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that uh, Yarmo has been able to do that have been impressive to me. So I, I do expect him to f- find a way to get some draft picks back. I don't know how he's going to do it. I happen to believe that Alexander Wenberg's out there being dangled to somebody, especially the way he played the World Championships. He's got to be a, a bit more attractive to people now, but who, who knows? I, I just I've been impressed by what he's been able to do when you think there's nothing to do. And and I would expect that that would begin again here very quickly. Yeah. Allison, what's the one thing you're you're keyed on in the next three weeks? I mean, for me, it's it's uh, it's easy to say the Duchesne move, but also filling up down the middle. Right. Because um, yeah. particularly if Duchesne goes, if, if you look at that free agent market, they, the Jackets have money to spend. But this. There's not a dearth of talent uh, this year. So um, to Dave's point, Yarmo's creativity never seems to go away. What does he do to address that need? Um, Because we've seen this team without it, and we know particularly now they're going to need it. Well, and there's this Kevin Hayes report that came out yesterday that said, well, you know, he's in Philly, but he might not stay in Philly. He's got other teams on his list, so... You know, he's he's not Matt Duchesne, but he's not a bad idea for a, a guy who could fill that spot up the middle, which I think would be interesting. And I'm surprised, actually, that the, the Jackets uh, didn't make a move similar to the one Philadelphia made earlier. You know, that, they why don't not? have any give, picks, Dave. Yeah, that's true. I didn't have a fifth-round <laughs> pick to give up. <laughs> I also know a, a, a certain member of the Blue Jackets front office now. Exactly. Pretty good friends with Kevin Hayes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good point. Exactly. Talk about uh, I heard earlier today that the Blue Jackets have had numerous offers for uh, Maraschenko, the draft pick from a couple of years ago. Uh, I think I think Sonny Milano is is dangled out there, perhaps for a later on draft pick. Not sure what the market bears there, but perhaps there's somebody willing to take a flyer. I don't think they want to move Maraschenko. I think they see him as a a possible, uh, really dynamic player here in the next couple of years. Uh, with with some of the other guys they've got coming to the surface, but I, I think they're going to be. I think they're bummed a little bit that Sedlak aren't signed so quickly with Russia because I think that's a player that that could have fetched a draft pick in return if he wasn't going to stay here. Um, so anything else we need to get to? Anything else you guys want to offer up here before we sign off for the night? Dave, man, we must have done a really good job. I. I uh... I think that uh, people have pushed the panic button way too early. I think there's a, as I talk to people, oh my God, what's going to happen without Bob? What's going to happen without Brad? What's going to happen without Duchesne? And 
And I do think there's value in Bemstrom coming up. I do think there's value in Texier and what we saw to him. I think Eric Robinson is going to step up and have a bigger role and, and has the potential to be a Josh Anderson type player with his speed and with his size. And so uh, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I, I do think there are some players in the system who will be given every opportunity to be good players here. And again, I, I can't wait to see what Yarmo's got up his sleeve. I really can't. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a really competitive team next year, no matter what happens here over the next few weeks. Um, I'm not sold that Foodie's ready to play next year, as some have mentioned. I, but, you know, that's just based on reports from Cleveland. Texier was an eye-opener for me. Uh, I think he definitely can, can play in the top nine. I like their defense. I think they're going to move a defenseman to add a forward or a, a top, you know, 60 draft pick, probably second round or third round draft pick. Um, I, I think it's going to be, I, I think, the, you know, I, I, I just think this season was such a struggle for them with the regular season um, that, that people forget how good this team was two years ago before Panarin got here. Um mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot, a lot there. But regular season success is obviously far different from postseason success. I, I think losing the talent that they're losing is is going to be. It's going to take some time for the young guys to be able to fill those or some massive shoes leaving the building. Um, but I, I believe in Elvis Merzlikens. I believe in that kid's confidence. And uh, you kind of get a sense when somebody's for real and when they're not. I think that kid, that kid believes he's for real, and I, I think he is. He is out to prove a lot of people. Wrong. So it's a. I think it's going to be. I think John Tortorella is going to love coaching this team next year that nobody thinks is going to be worth a damn. I think he's going to love that. So, Morty, where are you? Uh, you mentioned D. Where are you with Ryan Murray? What would you do with Ryan Murray right now with his, uh, you know, tendency to get injured? Obviously, missed a lot of games at the key time of year last year. And has he got value out there on the trade market? Do you keep him and hope that he stays healthy? Because when he plays like he played at the beginning of last season, he's so effective. What, yeah. what, what do you think happens there? Well, it's a really that's a really tough one. But I feel like it's a conversation that's been had uh, previous seasons where where you're saying, "Man, he's so good, you hate to trade him." Yeah. And you don't want to trade him on a frustration. Um, but I and there is interest out there. Apparently, Chicago's poked around about him. You hate to you hate to trade a guy. And then see, well, you would want him to stay healthy. What I mean is you'd hate to trade a guy low like this and then have him put his injury woes behind him and realize, man, that that is an elite talent that you let leave for a not elite return. But two pretty not minor back injuries, uh, the wear and tear that that body has had at a young age, I, I just I think for both parties involved, a trade makes a ton of sense. I think Ryan Murray... If if he were being honest, I think he would he would welcome a trade as well. I don't know what the market is for him because of all the injuries. You're not going to get talent that's un, in line with his ability. You're just not. Um, but I wonder if 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 it becomes just beneficial for both parties to move on. I think they've got the pieces here where they can move a top four guy. I think they can. I think they can survive without Murray because they've got Nudavar and Savard that can play. I love the Gavrikov kid, the little we saw, the little bit we saw of him in the playoffs. I think he can play easily in your top five, uh, top four, top five. So I, I think that's a position where they can unload from. We had a piece a week or so ago saying that that 
that Murray could go, Nudavar could go, Savar could go. Those are the guys that bring a legitimate return. I don't see really any reason in trading Gavrikov or Kukan or Harrington. Those are reliable guys that you're not paying a lot of money to. Uh, I don't. I think you hang up the phone if anybody even mentions Seth Jones's name. Sure. Oh yeah. I think they got to just back up a major truck if they're looking for Wierenski. So those three middle guys, I think one of those guys being traded makes the most sense. Uh, Sabard might have the largest upside, and maybe you decide this is the right time to trade him because his value is never going to be higher based upon how he played in the postseason, based on him being a right shot, right side defenseman. Those are always in demand. Uh, I think something gives there uh, likely this offseason to to help them out because they – they need to. They need some resources coming back in a in a big way. So, anyways, thoughts on that? Anybody? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, we're we're gonna. I'm, I'm hopefully gonna have something exploring this a little bit more just to start off next week. But it's the defense is sound, um, and it's it's almost like you know one of the proposals I've heard the thoughts tossed around is. Well, you just have to know he's you're only going to get 65 games or whatever out of him. Okay, but fine. But then you still have to have another defenseman on your roster because <laughs> you know you're going to have to pick that up. And, I mean, he's so talented. So, so, so talented. I love watching him play. I've loved watching him play uh, since he came to Columbus. But um, it, particularly in, in where the Jackets are right now with not a ton of picks uh, for the short-term future, no. if you get a good return – you you've got to take a look at that. Yeah, you just look at their roster and you go, yeah, they're trading a defenseman. Yeah, they're trading a defenseman. I mean, it it screams at you. Yeah, uh, it just makes too much sense. So, all right, well, Dave, thanks for joining us. Hey, I got one other thing I want to throw out at you, and and yeah. that is uh, Jack Roslovic in Winnipeg. Uh, rumblings that he oh. might be looking elsewhere. What do, what do you think the chances of uh, the Jackets uh, kicking the tires on the local kid? Well, I, I think the tires have already been kicked. Um, you know, I, I he is such an interesting player for me right now because I think the general response from him being unhappy in Winnipeg and his agent Ken Robinson, also locally based, says that there was there was no trade request. People in Winnipeg have said that there was a trade request, whether that came from the player and not the agent. The agent says it did not come, and I believe Ken Robinson um, as much as I believe anybody on this in in this game, um, but. He's not happy in Winnipeg with his role. The general response to that has been, you've played one full league season in the league, kid. Yeah. A really good team, kid. Uh, and the other response that, that I, I've learned just from covering sports, including minor league sports, is if you are worthy of being a number two center in this league, you will be a number two center in this league. Like, Winnipeg's not holding you back because they don't want you to be a number two center. That's just a really good team. Yeah. Uh, and he, he at one stretch, went more than 20 games last year without a goal or without, without significant offensive contribution. You can't do that. Um, he need, they need more from him to say, okay, you are an absolute top six stud player. Uh, the fact that, that he's gotten frustrated with the situation this quickly uh, I think worry some people about what what does what are his expectations here. Um, nothing is going to be given. Uh, he has to really knock doors down rather than just wait in line for them to open. It doesn't work that way anywhere. Um, so 
you know, I'm not sure how Roslovic would perform under Tortorella, I'm guessing. I think he needs to be in the right situation uh, to really thrive. But there is a ton of speed and a ton of skill in that kid. And I think he's going to be a really good – he's already a good NHL player. I think he's going to be a really good NHL player. Uh, but something has to give there in Winnipeg. I think Columbus would absolutely be interested in him. I'm not – I don't think Winnipeg is, is interested in trading him because they've got some guys that are going to be uh, potentially moving on as well. So I'm not really sure where that one goes. But, yeah, it, that, that's a situation that bears watching. Winnipeg is a team uh, that bears watching because I think they feel like there's some substantive changes that are needed. Um, but one thing that I got excited about was – and you guys will laugh at this – uh, before I, I really looked at the at the uh, offer sheet requirements, and it was like, oh, okay, oh, wouldn't it be cool if the Blue Jackets signed William Carlson to an offer sheet? <laughs> <laughs> right, like think about that. Uh, and then the flip side was, well, what if you know? Because what happens a lot of times is these teams will will find out that someone's talking offer sheet with a player, and instead of go through that, they'll cut him a trade. They'll trade the player mm, and they'll yeah. get this return that they want more than the first, second, and the third. Maybe part of the – if the Blue Jackets swung a trade with Vegas, maybe part of it would be that they would also take a, a bad contract back for a first-round draft pick. Like, say, David Clarkson. Right? And now you're like, whoa. You they want could, that one back? They could just totally reverse the – That'd be the hilarious. Two years <laughs> later, which would be hilarious. Um but yeah, so I William Carlson's out there. God, you look at the list of RFAs this year, and you go, "Wow, there's some serious players." Pittsburgh wants to make some noise. Uh, Winnipeg wants to make some noise. Vegas has to do something. Toronto has to do something. It's been so, we've had some quiet um, July first or summers uh, after in this this uh, salary cap era because things have have stagnated. But boy, this summer is going to be crazy. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Dave Metzl, Fox Sports Ohio, thanks for joining us. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Allison Lucan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. We have to bring Dave on more often. He's got the really good insight and questions. So we ought to make a monitor. I or tell moderator. you. Tell you. Yeah. Allison, could you send Mr. Tortorella a note on that, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that one, Dave. We should get Tortorella on here. I still need him to answer my questions. Come on now. I don't know what Skype is. I don't have any idea what a podcast is. What's an emoji? Who? Who's asking me questions? Tom Reed's mommy call in. What's happening? God bless. Uh, all right. Have a great summer, Dave. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Can't thanks, wait. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for reading. And we'll talk to you all soon. 